thank you. I wanted to share my political party. It's Finnish. <laughs> I learned a Finnish proverb this week. Maybe you know this one. God did not create hurry. That's a true thing, right? That's good. God did not create hurry. And I felt that way a little bit with this, this series we've been going through. We've been rushing through the book of Philippians and I've been looking at it this week going, whoa, there's so much to cover. But uh, we will try and look at just three things this morning that come, three enormous truths that come out of this text this morning. Now, you might have a bulletin. We do put some questions on the back. They're good to do at your family devotions, just to review the passage. It'll probably take you all of 10 minutes. And take those home and, and maybe at even supper or at lunchtime, you take the minute to look at it. So we are in Philippians chapter 3, tears, tragedy, and triumph. We are seeing a lot about the Apostle Paul, who he is, his character. What kind of a man was he? What had God done in his life, which was enormous, because remember, he was a persecutor of the church. He actually was responsible, they think, potentially for dozens of martyrdoms, certainly for torture and so on, but they often would just even put him in prison, those who were following the way, and Paul was the ringleader. We won't get to all the texts, so we're going to look a little bit as kind of an introduction, and then maybe a look back at last week, and then we'll read the text and pray. But last week we looked at verse 15 in particular, let those of us who are mature think this way. So we look back at what did Paul say was maturity? And if you remember right, it was a spiritual mature person knows that they are not perfect. Next thing we looked at, a spiritual mature person knows that they are empowered and equipped at the new birth to press on in the Christian faith. You and I know if you've been a Christian for very long or watched life, period, that there are bumps in the road, and sometimes enormous trials and afflictions. So number three, we were reminded, spiritual mature people, remember that they are called and kept by the living God. If we weren't, you know, I know, I would trail off and I would be in the ditch or on a detour. So God keeps us, but he called us according to Jude 1 and 2. So then he says in verse 16 in this text, only let us hold true to what we have attained. So he identifies with the Philippian believers as saying, you know what? I could slip back. I could lose the progress I've made. First, excuse me, Second John says this, watch yourselves, verse 8, so that you may not lose what we have worked for and not win a full reward. So it's worthy of an examination. Paul is saying, the likes of you and I and the Philippian believers, they could backslide. Some of us can probably, maybe even resemble that today. You're backsliding. You're maybe not as in as you should. And Paul reminds us in this whole text that we are to press on. Even when we have the ebbs and flows to get up, and keep going. So maturity recognizes that reality, those realities. It says, so hold true to what you and us and them have attained. So that brings us to our text for this morning, 
Philippians 3, 15 to 21. If you're so inclined, follow along and read with me. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in what happened this past weekend at the IF gathering. Thank you, Lord, for these opportunities. In many places in the world, they do not have them. They would be stopped before they were begun. We thank you for our gals at Grand Rapids E-Free, moms and wives and singles. And Lord, we just thank you for each one. What a joy they are. What a blessing to Grand Rapids E-Free. So many volunteer in numerous places. And so we rejoice and thank you for them. And now we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit breathing into the Apostle Paul and even bringing it to his fingertips where he would write with the pen and he would put it on parchment and it would be passed on for centuries. And now we have it in abundance and many versions. And this, this morning we ask you to give us attention to these matters that are of utmost important. They are eternal matters. And so, uh, Father, we give ourselves to it now. In Jesus' name, amen. So, our first point is, we look at a memory verse. Good to do with the family. Brothers, join in imitating me. Paul talking. Imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to example you have in us. The Phillips version says it. And by the way, I use other translations. I hope you do. The New Living Translation. I sometimes use the Phillips Translation. There's a few other ones. If you come across a passage, you say, oh, I want to make a little more sense out of this. So here's what the Phillips Version says concerning Philippians 3, 15 to 21. Let, Paul's talking, let me, Paul, be your example here, my brothers. Let my example be the standard by which you can tell who are genuine Christians among those who are with you. For there are many of whom I have told you before, and I'm telling you again, even telling you with tears, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Let me be your example. Paul is making a bold statement. I've often wondered that. Could I ever say that? Follow me. I hope I could. I hope you can. But he says, brothers, don't you like family life to be reminded of again? I was with someone yesterday, and she asked me, what are you most concerned about happening in our culture? And I shared what I was thinking, and she said, you know what I'm concerned about? The breakdown of the family in our country. But Paul brings to bring us right away, brothers, we are family. When you see 
a brother or sister on the street, Lord willing, you're saying, that's a person I love and I know, and we are one in Christ. We are spiritual brothers and sisters. But then he says, join in imitating me. The word imitate is a compound word in the Greek, and in that compound word is the word mimeo. You can hear our English word, right? Mimic. He's saying, mimic me. Well, if you grew up in a family with a bunch of boys like I did, mimicking was not very well appreciated. So we got in a few fights. I think I won one when my brother was one year old. And keep your eyes on those who walk. Isn't that, we sometimes think this is disconnected from real life. But Paul's saying, there are so many temptations. There are so many roads that could lead to destruction. He says, keep an eye on those who are walking like me. Why? Because all of us have a mentor. It could be TV. It could be social media. But if it's a person, we'd probably have copied in some respect their lives. And Paul is aware of this, that people influence people. So he says, and I think he says it to all of us, teens, young people, find those who are worth imitating and walk accordingly to their example. Keep your eyes Peeled, keep your ears to the ground. Who should I look or shape my life after? Because Paul's been telling us not all religious leaders and teachers are created equal. There are people building their own kingdom. A kingdom where are they known and where they want to be first and like the octopus. John corrects that. He said, I mean, Paul says there's a person, Diotrephes. He always wants to be first. He wants to be front and center. Paul says, watch out for those people. If you've been watching the news, we've had another scandal amongst the church. I know that the Lord, the living God can withstand them, but they're difficult, aren't they? Now you're wondering what it is. You can look it up. But what about his tears? Next verse, he says, for many, they're numerous, not a few. Many of whom I've told you, I'm telling you now with tears, Paul wept. I was reading this and go, why don't I weep like that? Because what's he weeping about? Lost brothers and sisters, maybe his own family, lost people around them. We have to be careful that Paul wasn't this poker-faced, stoic individual who never wept. He wept. He's telling us he wept. We see this here. He had a great balance of truth and love. I see through the years, so have you. People are just really grounded in truth. And then we have people really grounded in love, but they're both important. Grow in grace and truth, the apostle Paul said. Paul wept. You can see the water stains maybe on the parchment as he's writing this. Name after name probably came to his mind as maybe coming to your mind right now. And I want to stop because I know that in this room there are moms and dads hurting. There are brothers and sisters. There are children, adult children, hurting for those who are lost 
and they long for them. So we're going to pray. Father, our tears this morning too. I think of my brothers and my sisters and, and many I know who the Apostle Paul is about to describe. We give them to you. We ask you to make us bold and courageous and give us opportunities to plant seeds of the gospel. Lord, comfort us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Paul says, I've told you about them not once, but often. And now I tell you with tears or with broken heartedness. And he says this, they walk as enemies of the cross. Robert McChaney preached many years ago. And he's sharing with another pastor that he had preached on hell the previous Lord's Day. The other asked him, what was that like? And what was your title? He said, the title was, the wicked shall be turned into hell, and with them all the nations that forget God. His friend said, how did that go? He said, I don't know, I wept through the entire message. But Paul is concerned, and he has tears, because some were walking as enemies of the cross. What's an enemy of the cross? What's a friend of the cross? Well, the Bible interprets itself, right? So I went and did what's called the cross-reference. I think we might have a picture of a cross-reference. How do you cross-reference in your Bible? Lord willing, you have a Bible down the middle. It has these references, and there's usually dozens and dozens of them. And so I start doing cross-references. What is an enemy of the cross? And I was shocked. Because I thought an enemy of the cross is someone who is just rabid against Christianity. But listen to what Jesus said. But as for those who are the enemies of mine, Jesus is speaking, they are those who do not want me to reign over them. What? It took my breath away. So the enemies of the cross are the likes of those who don't want Jesus to reign over them. They don't necessarily have to be militant. But they don't want anyone to reign over them, especially the Lord Jesus. Then I came across 1 Corinthians 1.18. The word of the cross, enemies of the cross, the cross is folly. The word of the cross or the message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the actual power of God. Then it's written in Galatians 6.14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus. Enemies of the cross. But what is the cross about? We have a big cross here. I think I've told you. Biggest cross I've ever seen in a church building. But the cross represents something. It represents the death of a Savior, which we're coming up on that time of the year when we're going to stop and very intentionally look at what's called Resurrection Sunday. But I came across this this week. This is from Colossians 2.14. Talking about the cross, Paul said this. He canceled the record or debt that stood against us with its legal demands. These he set aside by nailing them to the cross. So Paul is saying the cross is so important. Why? Because on the cross, our record, your record, my record of sin 
is paid. Then he uses something they would have been very familiar with. He says, these or this record, the recording of all of our sins, if you were want to put it in other language, he set aside nailing it to the cross. When a Roman crucifixion took place, you know this, many of you, what would they do? They would nail at the top of the cross their crimes. That's what Paul's using in Colossians. He's saying, your crime, my crimes, are nailed to the cross. Now get this, now this will make sense. Back up. Canceling the record of them and the debt of them. So Paul is saying, they're enemies of what took place at the cross, the death, and then what took place after, the resurrection. He's saying, they are against that beautiful picture and reality of what happens in the Christian life. But they're enemies of the cross. Point being this, being an enemy of the cross was raising a fist to heaven and saying, you will not reign over me. Well, we better move on. What's the description of those who would be an enemy of the cross? Number one, he already tells us their destiny. Their end is destruction. The verb says it's already happened. Unless they repent. Does that not send shivers up your spine? Nothing to laugh about. The old preachers used to call it hell. Now we call it the other place. People have said, well, that's for angry preachers. Well, I'm not angry today. But we're going to talk briefly about this. Their end is destruction. Different. If you're here today, I'm pleading with you. If you've never taken time to study the claims of Christ, I plead with you to do that. Because that's the end. Is this something new? No, Jesus said it. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to what? Destruction. And those who enter it, by it are many. Through the years I've heard this, you have too. I could never believe in a God like that. And it just makes me want to throw up. I don't know. But you don't start talking about God like that. I could never believe in a God like that. You start with, what has God said? And then you can say, Okay, that's difficult to believe. But the Apostle Paul says their end is destruction. And he goes on. Their God is their belly. What does that mean? It's probably a metaphor for their appetites. So their appetites ruled over them. The appetites took the driver's seat. The appetites were first and foremost. Many believe it probably refers to a, just a life without filters. Not just a mouth, but a life. Because he's talking about how they were living. Paul told that to the Romans as well. He said this, the Roman Christians. There are some who cause divisions, create obstacles, us, obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Such persons do not serve our Lord, but their own appetites. So they had an unbridled appetite. Next one. Isn't this heavy? I want to get through this. 
their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. What do unbridled appetites do? Lead to shameful living. And we've all been ashamed in our life, right? And if you're a Christian, you cannot live there the rest of your life because the cross covers our guilt and our shame. But what's Paul saying? Their conscience didn't bother them to the point of they were doing braggadocia. They were bragging about what they had, should have been ashamed of. All kinds of shameful behaviors. Let me ask you, do we see that in our culture? Reading a huge book called The Secular Age by Charles Taylor. If you want to buy it, this guy is so insightful. He said, we have a culture today that is very, very unusual. Because we have purged out God to the point you don't even see God mentioned or hear God mentioned in public places anymore. He said even the heathen look to their gods, their false gods, to guide them. We're far beyond that. We don't need God. We have this, he says about our culture, that our culture has said we will actually collectively decide what it is to flourish as a human being. And so we get braggadocia about things that we should be ashamed of. And then he has another declaration with their minds set on earthly things. They're fixated on their citizenship here. They have an eye only for what's tangible and they can see before them. And he says it's an attitude of the mind. They live with the day after day. And we need to be reminded how important the mind is and what we take in and what our kids take in. Because the mind is very important. The heart, of course, includes the mind, the will, the affections. Oh, that's heavy. <laughs> Verse 20. Now we see the triumph. The triumph. But our citizenship is in heaven. He's going to bring about a contrast. He's going to talk about the opposite. Here's what the Christian life is looking forward to. But our citizenship is in heaven. The Philippians would have said, I got that one. They were in Philippi, but they were what kind of citizens? Roman citizens. They were on the roll in Rome. They lived in Philippi, but they were actually on the roll Thousands of miles away, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away, they're citizens of Rome, but they live in Philippi. So it is for us. Heaven may seem a long way away, but that's where our citizenship is. And Paul is saying, we have something to look forward to, a savior. There's an old cynic, he's long gone, Omar Kayam, he said this, about his life, he was an atheist. The stars are setting and the caravan is starting for the dawn of nothing. He was talking about death. The dawn of nothing. Paul would say, you're nuts. We are waiting for a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who will what? Transform our lowly bodies. We're weird. We're citizens. Not here, well, we are. But you might as well get used to being weird. 
Your citizenship is not here. You're a teenager. You're going to school. They say, well, that kid's weird. Yeah, okay. When I became a Christian, a lot of people said that. He's weird. Probably for more than one reason. But you're going to be looked on as weird. Because you have a whole different set of values. And here's what one of them is. We're looking forward to a salvation where Jesus will return and he will transform our lowly body. The word Savior, they would have latched on to that right way because the Romans believed who was the Savior. Caesar Augustus. He was acclaimed to be the Savior of the world. Why? He brought peace to that part of the world and to provinces around it. And so he was considered the Savior. So Paul is saying, we're looking for a different Savior. And then he says, and we better move on, our lowly body will be transformed to be like his. We're not going to necessarily be rescued from this body, but transformed. And people say, how could that happen? He is able, but he's going to tell us how. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What's that argument? It's the argument they call from greater to lesser. All things are subjected to him. So a lesser thing is, he's going to transform our bodies. What kind of body? Here it is. Like, somebody say it. His. Can somebody say hallelujah? Let's do a few applications. Number one. What or who shall we imitate? This is important. Move stars. We should imitate movie stars. That'll be a slap in the face. Sports heroes. That was the worst one ever. <laughs> but what about our discussions around the table? What are discussions around the table? How about Christian biographies? Read them to your kid. Read them to yourself. Talk about them. But Paul's saying here that we should find good, careful about who we imitate. But we're looking for a savior. Times of examination. Are some of these in our lives? Yeah. Sometimes we live by our appetites. Doesn't help much. The media's telling us what we need, right? What we need. One of my grandchildren said, Grandpa, do you really need it? I'm going, okay, that's enough, young boy. <laughs> Number three, our hope was not without grounds. Because Jesus was resurrected from the grave. 1 Corinthians 15. Spend a day there. Spend two hours in 1 Corinthians 15. Our hope is rooted deep in the reality of who our Lord Jesus is and where he is. 
also Christian, C.T. Manley said this. Let a pessimist look down, right? You maybe have been that way. Let a fearful one look all around. But let a Christian lift their eyes and look up. Let's pray. Have that worship team come. Oh, Father, we are weak. We are so weak. But you are the Lord of the universe. And we look for that blessed hope. One day you will ret return. And one day our bodies will be transformed to be like your own. Lord, thank you for Grand Rapids He Free. The great and glorious hope we have collectively. That we are reminded of these matters again and again. And Lord, it takes us beyond weather and sports and so on and so forth. To talk about how are you doing? How's my brother and the Lord doing? How's my sister? How are the young ones doing? How can I pray for you? Oh Lord, make us that kind of people. Lord, shape us into the likeness of your son. Before we are transformed. As we're being transformed here on this earth. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.